Al Jazeera Podcasts. The year was 1975. 15th August in the morning, we were we heard this news, but we couldn't believe it. 27-year-old Sheikh Hasina, the daughter of Bangladesh's founding father, was on the other side of the world when she heard about a coup back home. Everything just, just one night, everything just changed. Soldiers burst into her family home at night and killed her father, mother, and three brothers. They overthrew and killed Mujib. The man had been called the father of Bangladesh. Sheikh Hasina was forced to stay in exile for years. It was the start of a career fighting for democracy. On Sunday, Sheikh Hasina won her fifth term as Bangladesh's prime minister. Election results are out in Bangladesh and no surprises there. Sheikh Hasina has won again. The prime minister is 76 years old. By the end of this term, she will be 81. But after 15 straight years as head of government, some Bangladeshis say she's become a threat to that democracy. So who is Sheikh Hasina today? And how did she cement her grip on power? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is uh, Tanvi Chaudhry, and I'm working for Al Jazeera Television as a correspondent for Bangladesh. So let's dive right into the big story that's taking your time right now, and that is the election. Sheikh Hasina, who has now been governing Bangladesh for the last 15 years, is the daughter of the country's founding father, Sheikh Mujbir Mahman. How would you describe her as a person? Very strong, enigmatic character. She's very decisive, very statement-like, and very hands-on. If she decides to do something, she will do it. And she's not somebody who backs down. Those who want to criticize, they can criticize. It is their liberty. I have my own belief. Whether it is right or wrong, I believe that and I trust on that. One way to really describe her is an iron lady as a leader of a country. She's very strong. Do you think that that's a description that people would share across the board, whether they are supporters or critics? I think her supporters likes to think uh, she is uh, sort of a saver of Bangladesh economy. She is uh, bringing back the legacy of the Awami League party that her father was the father of the nation who was instrumental in leading the Bengalis for the movement separate from West Pakistan. Civil war has broken out between the two halves of Pakistan, a country separated by a thousand miles of Indian territory. In a and we were then East Pakistan and uh, parts of Bangladesh. So they find that threat and connection with her father through her, those who are very loyal supporters. She does have very powerful loyal supporter base and extremely popular with them. So... You mentioned what her supporters would say. To her critics, she is often called autocratic and she's said to be stifling dissent. Why is that? 
Well, she's been in power in the 96, 1996 also. She wasn't that harsh or uh, autocratic that time. I think since 2008, when she overwhelmingly won the election with two-third majority, she eventually started becoming quite uh, authoritarian. She was successively trying to oppress the opposition. Anybody who's had a dissenting views against her rule or opposing views, uh, it was a gradual evolving process, not like a one-off event. 18-year-old college girls were arrested, a school teacher was arrested, journalists were arrested, just making some negative comments about her. And you're without explicit wording, you're forbidden to criticize her family members mm. and herself, of course, particularly her daughter and son. I know that you've been talking to people on the streets of Bangladesh ahead of and after this election. And I know that sometimes you've been finding it difficult to have people speak to you on camera. How do people that you talk to for comment bring that up? Yes, uh, give you an example today. We were out in the bazaar to get a reaction from the people. So I'd say, hey, how was the election? Did you able to go and vote? He was a shopkeeper. And this gave a smile and said, you know what, uh, are you recording? I said, no. I said, this was an election. This was a staged mockery. You know, I mean, we know who's going to win. He said, so does it take rocket science to understand this? I said, well, are you going to go on camera with this? I said, no. I've been cracking down of any kind of dissenting voice, any opposition voice, you know, because it's becoming totally authoritarian. And it's not that one person. In, in many places, we face the same encounter. And another I gave you on the election day, there was a rickshaw puller. We didn't actually ask to interview him. We were doing live and he came next to us while we were resting for the next live. Then I asked him, hey, uh, same thing to start off a conversation. How was your voting and everything? And he goes, I didn't vote. I said, why not? He said, who wants to vote for this government? Mm. This rickshaw puller was himself started talking and we started recording. He said, you know, this is a very autocratic government and she has not been able to really manage the food prices. It's been soaring. We have been really struggling. And she's been autocratic. She's been really harassing the opposition. No opposition parties could take place, take part in this election. And then started screaming. And so much so there was like a crowd of 30, 40 people around him. And he said, I am not scared. I don't care what they do to me. And then eventually said, you know what? Maybe not because there are a lot of pro- Government students hanging out here, they might want to harass you. You know, we actually took him to a safer ground. He said, you know, just ride off with your rickshaw because they might, you know, want to harm you or something because he made such a big commotion out of it. Wow. Huh. So these are conversations that you've been having with people after the election that occurred on Sunday. The election commission's had turnout was around 40%. And critics called it a sham election, as some of the people you've been talking on the street have as well. And that's because people say that this was decided the moment that the main opposition decided to boycott the poll in early November. Can you tell me a little bit more about why people are calling it a sham election? Well, I'll give you a little bit of context. Uh, the opposition really started its movement sometime in end of 2022 and it started snowballing because 
you know, it, it's very difficult for the opposition to actually stage a movement because the uh, grassroots leaders and others would be detained. There's literally thousands of cases against nearly 5 million opposition members. So this is how they're literally paralyzed, you know. So it evolved into a mobilization by the opposition. And on October 28, there was a massive rally in the center of the capital near the main opposition's office. Thousands of people were there, very peaceful. There was no provocation by the opposition. I was there, by the way, in that event. Suddenly, in the afternoon, the police saw from every end with armored car, sound grenades, tear gas, rubber bullets, just literally attacking the entire rally. Hundreds were injured, and uh, some of the protesters of course got angry. Cars were burned, and there was an orchestrated event. Even the UN said that most people carried out a lot of sabotage activities to instigate this crackdown. And since then, 25,000 opposition members were arrested. Many were missing, still missing, through enforced disappearance. At least six opposition members died in custodial death in a very questionable circumstance. Also, the main opposition leader, most of them, frontline, are behind the bar, except for a couple of them. Hmm. And the former Prime Minister Khaled Zia, who is also a very popular woman leader in Bangladesh, she's critically in, in the hospital. She's not allowed to go abroad. The government won't allow her out. And she's essentially in house arrest or in the hospital under arrest. After the break, what Sheikh Hasina's supporters say and what her legacy will be moving forward. It is the year 2065 and nature has been given the same rights that humans and corporations enjoy in the 2020s. A climate refugee kills an animal for food. The defendant was eating the victim. And a reluctant lawyer is assigned his case. They have you personally pinned for an act of extinction. Since when's feeding your family a crime? The Last Impala, Unnecessary Tomorrows, a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So Tanvir, Sheikh Hasina was once heralded as this pro-democracy figure, and that is starting from as far back as the 90s when she worked with her now political rival, Khaled Azia, against the military-led government at the time. What was that period like, and what changed? It was a very unique time. I mean, both these women were leading a pro-democracy movement hand-in-hand. They were friends. They used to sit and chat, drink tea together, and they were out in the street, you know, against President General Ashad, who was also very autocratic. And eventually, they succeeded. In the years that followed, she fought the military generals of Bangladesh and initiated several steps to secure basic human rights for her countrymen. And it was former Prime Minister Khaled Azia, the chairperson of the Nationalist Party, who came to power as the first woman prime minister in Bangladesh. But sometime when, in the early 90s, when Khaled Azia came to power, Hasina started falling out, you know, her friendship with her. 
and eventually she started a opposition movement against Khalida and then Hasina came to power in 1996. So I know that you were visiting polling places, you were talking to people on the streets. Talk to me about the mood of the election in the days after. What has it felt like and has it felt different than other elections? Yes, I mean, we covered, Al Jazeera covered 2014-2018 election here. Even those two were quite controversial. But this election, I went to at least, uh, I'd say, eight different centers in a very wide area of the capital city and outskirts. These are polling centers? Yeah, polling centers. And I've, everyone was shocked, like the such an insignificant number of people were actually voting. They were empty. The Some of the largest polling centers were literally empty. Even the polling presiding officer was telling us, you know, it's, it's very insignificant. There's hardly any people here to vote. And the only people you saw were those with the ruling party supporters, their student wings, and the cops. Whenever the election observer, there are few from overseas, came to a certain particular center, they actually queued up people from somewhere outside. When you went inside, there's nobody in the polling centers. That doesn't mean polling didn't take place. It was basically, essentially, people just say, okay, Sarah, you're going to win anyway. Who cares to go vote? And effectively, most people just boycotted that election. We've been talking a lot about the criticisms of Sheikh Hasina. But on the other hand, she's been credited with growing the economy, bringing in big infrastructure projects, providing safe havens to more than a million Rohingya refugees who began fleeing Myanmar in 2017. So when you put it all together, what do you think her legacy is going to be moving forward? I think despite all the criticism, she is a quite beloved leader. Mm. She is a legacy of her father. She is a very charismatic woman. And she did from 2008 till at least 2018 has to be credited for bringing the economy back into a middle-income country. Things have developed quite a bit and she's very decisive. She could cut through the bureaucracy and get things done. And she must be credited for those. She tried to bring the confidence for the Bengali nationalism, which has been gone since colonial era, and also promoted the idea very strongly about secularist Bangladesh. Not a Bangladesh with just Islamist fabric, but a very secularist Bangladesh. She has to be credited for that, no doubt. You mentioned she's beloved, which feels hard to believe after all of the criticisms um, that we've talked about. Where does that stem from? She has a very strong, loyal base supporters. They'll accept anything. You know, she, they will continue to support her. There's no doubt about that. So, Tanvir, you are Bangladeshi. You've been covering the country for Al Jazeera for 13 years. How would you describe what it's been like both to live and report in Bangladesh under Sheikh Hasina? I... I was okay with her in 2008 till 2014. I personally met her several times, and she was very pleasant, very, you know, kind to all the journalists. So I never had a, you know, this thought that she would be a very authoritarian. But as time went, I realized, I mean, all the 
things that I saw were the opposition and people with dissenting voice, journalists been jailed, and there's pictures of her everywhere, almost like a cult worshipping anywhere in the office building you go. Her father's statue and her picture has to be there everywhere. And more and more, I felt like I was kind of losing her touch. That this is not, you know, what she fought for. Because Bangladesh did fight for independence, but it also fought for democracy and pluralism. And that's just evolving away. That is sad to see. And that's the take. This episode was produced by Ashish Malhotra with Miranda Lynn, David Enders, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Bazar, Sonia Bagat, Paranisa Kampana, Sari Al Khalili, Chloe K. Lee, Nagin Auliayi, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexander Locke is the Takes executive producer, and Nay Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>